0: One of my many but manageable New Year's resolutions is to make sure that I never get up here with this clicker off when I have a PowerPoint and start fumbling around trying to figure out why things aren't working. So far, I'm one for one. It's known all too well that um, whenever we're growing up as children, we get told quite a bit whenever we. Leave a responsibility or a task that we've been given undone, or we do something that may be childish, or we do something that may be viewed as uh, lacking an understanding of the responsibilities we've been given. We're we're told to grow up. You know, it's it's time to grow up. It's time to understand that you have responsibilities, that you have things that you need to take care of, and things that are in your care that you've been charged with. And it's time to grow up and take care of those things. You know, you're no longer a child anymore. You don't just live for yourself you have to take care of some things, and that's the lens that I viewed this lesson from as I was putting it together. The subject has been on my mind quite a bit lately, and I've always thought that man has shown throughout history that we have a pretty bad reputation for having a lack of responsibility, of trying to shift responsibility for actions that we commit, trying to shift blame, or maybe not taking care of things that are in our responsibility, things that we need to take care of, and there's a lot of Examples of that in Scripture, but one of the greatest examples that I can find is in the book of Genesis. And I think we can go all the way back to the beginning of time to see where our crisis with responsibility began. And it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, it says that the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So God has asked Adam, What have you done? Have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to? And Adam did, and Eve ate, because she was tempted by the serpent. And verse 13 says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying thou should not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat the bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for the dust thou art, and to the dust thou shalt return. So true to his nature, Adam and Eve, they are true to their nature, they shift blame as they're asked, you know, what did you do? Well, the first thing Adam says, the woman that you gave to me, He says to God, that woman that you gave to me, she gave me of the fruit. And then Eve says, the serpent beguiled me. And every time I've read this, I can't help but think of a situation where a parent is getting on to maybe a couple of their children who have gotten into some kind of mischief or done something wrong that they all had a hand in. And one's just pointing fingers at the other, trying to shift responsibility for the actions that were committed. And that's just the image that this conjures up in my mind. Now, this blame-shifting or this lack of responsibility that Adam and Eve have here in the garden is in relation to something that they did wrong. It was a sin of commission, something that they did. Now, the sins that we're going to talk about are the responsibilities that we're going to talk about rather more regarding to uh, things of omission, of leaving things undone, responsibilities that we have as Christians and duties that we've been charged with. The Oxford Dictionary defines the term responsibility as the state or fact of having to deal with something or having control over someone. I by chance, just came across this one. It's apparently a different dictionary. I like the way that the Oxford Learners Dictionary puts it. It says, having the job or duty of doing something or taking care of somebody slash something so that you may be blamed if something goes wrong. It's kind of a more blunt definition. It says this is the consequence, and that's the truth. I mean, if we are charged with doing something, if we're given a responsibility as a Christian to do something in God's word, It falls on us and us alone if we do not do what we've been charged to do. We're alone responsible for the things that we need to do and that we've been charged with doing. So what does the Bible say about our Christian responsibility? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all responsible for our actions, done or undone, sins of omission and commission things that we've been told to do and things that we have been told not to do as I said we're going to talk about the responsibilities that we've been given as Christians and how we should rise to that occasion to take responsibility for the things that we have been told to do and simply it's time to grow up because the truth is that nobody is holding a gun to our heads saying that we shouldn't do these things and the truth is that even if the, uh, the metaphorical or physical gun were held to our head to say that we shouldn't do these things, the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 29 talking about Peter as he was accused by the people in Jerusalem to not preach Jesus, he said, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know, we can include in that statement, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter was talking about those men in the Jewish council telling them that they should not preach Christ. We can take that in in men, the Greek word is arthropos, humans. It's us too. It's us as individuals, ourselves. We ought to obey God rather than ourselves as well. (laughs) Peter knew the responsibilities given to him and something to keep in mind is that Uh, when he, or excuse me, Peter knew the uh, responsibilities given to him, and he chose not to obey men, but rather to obey God. And I think there's four things that we can cover today to give us a good idea of the responsibilities that God has given us. Number one, the responsibility that we have to work out our own salvation. Number two, to further our knowledge, the responsibility that we have to open up our Bibles at home, in the church, whenever we have opportunity, and to grow in the knowledge of the scriptures. Thirdly, to help others grow in knowledge. The people that we are responsible for, whether you have children, whether you're married, your spouse, uh, older siblings to younger siblings, or simply Christians teaching other people about the gospel, the people that we've been charged with in the scriptures that are our responsibility to teach and help grow in knowledge. And finally, the responsibility that we have to place more importance on things that are eternal than things that are temporal. So the first thing concerning our salvation, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Our salvation is ours alone to manage with the guidance and the truth of God's word. There's a good case study in the book of Luke, chapter 16, about responsibility regarding our salvation and where our soul is going to spend eternity, Uh, It's the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. We'll pick up the story there in verse 22 of Luke 16. It says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, that he may dip his tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Notice in verse 27, the rich man begins to plead to Father Abraham, Send Lazarus. Send them to my father's house. I have brothers. They need to hear this so that they don't come into this place of torment. And Abraham's response was, they have Moses and the prophets. They can hear them. And the rich man pleads further. He says, no, if, if somebody came from the dead, they would believe. And then he follows up there, and Abraham says, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the words of the scriptures, they wouldn't be convinced if somebody came back from the dead. Those men had a responsibility for their own salvation just as you and I do. You know, I have a feeling that on the Day of Judgment, there's going to be no shortage of people. Lao talked about it this morning about the broad gate that leads to destruction. There's going to be no shortage of people with a lot of excuses as to why they didn't obey the gospel and why they didn't work out their salvation. Maybe they didn't have enough time to decide. They didn't have enough time in the world, they felt, before they became a Christian. It wasn't easy enough to understand, but the truth is is that we all have a responsibility to listen to the words of the Bible and understand that our salvation is our responsibility alone. We have the guidance of the scriptures to get us to that point, but it's our responsibility to make that decision. And we'll talk more about teaching people to get to that point as well in the future. Now, another study of somebody... In the scriptures that is on the opposite side of the spectrum of taking responsibility when it comes to our salvation. We can find in the book of Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 30. And that's the Ethiopian eunuch. You know if you're here today and you haven't obeyed the gospel most likely it's because you have a certain belief that's a hang up. Something that's causing you not to take that step to obey to not become a Christian. With that in mind, let's look at the Ethiopian eunuch. The Lord speaks to an evangelist by the name of Philip, and he tells him to go down to this desert place. There he meets an Ethiopian who had come up from Jerusalem. He was a Jew who had come up to worship at Jerusalem. And picking up the story in verse 30, it says Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest what thou readest? And the eunuch says, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired, Philip, that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So after having Jesus preached to him, he sees that he has a responsibility. He sees that he has a task before him, and he earnestly goes towards that. He asks, what does he need to do? Or what hinders me to be baptized? After having Jesus preached to him, he jumps on the opportunity to take care of the responsibility that he has to work out his own salvation. You know, a key ingredient I noticed in this story was the mindset of the eunuch throughout this whole time. Notice that he says, how can I understand this except some man guide me? Who does the prophet speak of? Of himself or some other man? What hinders me to be baptized? He had the attitude of a student, of a learner. He had humility, and he desired to know more. And the truth is that we can never fulfill our responsibilities, whether it's our responsibility to work out our salvation or any of these other ones that we're going to talk about if we don't have an attitude of humility. Second thing we'd like to talk about is our opportunity, or our responsibility, rather, to grow in knowledge. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. You know, we'll talk more about this later, but once you reach a certain level of, of knowledge or understanding in life or, or competency, I would say it's your responsibility and your responsibility alone to grow in the knowledge of the scriptures. You know, this is something that's very difficult for me because this does not come natural. I'm, I'm not a natural studier. I'm, I'm not, it doesn't come natural to me to, to sit in a room and bury my head in a book and, and read something over and over again and internalize it. That's not something that comes natural to me. That may be something that comes natural to you. But as Adam and Eve in the garden, we need to ask the question, why would we abandon this responsibility? Why would we let this one slide? Maybe you're somebody who isn't really good at taking care of this responsibility. Maybe this is one of those New Year's resolutions that you've tried to enact and study more as the year goes on well i think the reason that we don't take advantage of this or we don't uh, take care of this responsibility is we don't think that we have time and i'd like for us to work together on dispelling that myth there are seven hundred eighty-three thousand one hundred thirty-seven words in the bible the average person reads about 200 to 250 words a minute If you read the whole Bible through, it would take you about 3,915 minutes total. That's 65 hours. You divide that up into 365 days, that takes you only 10 to 11 minutes a day. Math people in the audience, check me after this. I probably spent more time on getting this right than the whole lesson, to be honest with you. But just looking at that, the responsibility that we have to grow in knowledge... The excuse can't be that we don't have enough time. I was going to put this in the lesson, but I, I just decided not to. But I just took a big, a big Facebook symbol and basically out of the bottom right corner of the Facebook symbol, just a little red chunk, that's really what it is. The amount of time that I spend on it a day, and, and my phone's good at reminding me of that, but that's all the time it would take for me to read the Bible an entire year. But let's just scale it down a little bit. What about reading Proverbs. What about recalling the knowledge of the book of Proverbs each and every day having the knowledge base in the book of Proverbs to recall in your mind to fulfill the responsibility of growing in knowledge. It has 15,038 words in it. At 200 words a minute and now look we're shooting on the lower side of the words per minute we're not saying you're the best reader in the world that you're a speed reader or that you read the top end of that average. You're at the low end of the average. Total minutes is 75 minutes to read the entire book of Proverbs That's One hour and 15 minutes, roughly. That's two and a half minutes a day. Think of how benefited we would be if we could recall the book of Proverbs and the wisdom of it throughout our days because we've spent so much time within it. If we take advantage of the responsibility that we have to grow in knowledge, we can have that. And that's the truth of all the responsibilities that God has given us. Not a single one of them are not for our benefit. Every one of them, from salvation to taking advantage of study time, to growing in knowledge, to putting more importance over the eternal, over the physical. So by 2021, you'll have read the book of Proverbs about 12 times, and you should have a good reference index in your mind to recall that knowledge. You know, this is just something that I wrote down on here, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I'll go ahead and talk about it now. I did the math again, and Lord willing, come May, I'll be a father, and 216 times, 216 times is the amount of times that I would have read the book of Proverbs to my son from age 1 to age 18. Now I know there's going to be a few years in there that there's not going to be much communication on the other side, but that they could grow up in a home, that my family could grow up in a home and see where the knowledge and the growth of it is a responsibility taken seriously. (coughs) in the Lindgren household. The thing that's daunting to me is not necessarily that um, that we don't have time or that we may think that we don't have time but that we only need to spend a fragment of the time that we spend doing other things like social media or television or uh, games or some kind of leisurely activity. Um, If we just spent a fraction of that time it would put us in an eminently better position uh, spiritually. What about teachers in the congregation and their responsibility? Oh, excuse me teachers in the congregation and their responsibility to grow in knowledge. James chapter 3 verse 1 it says my brethren be not many masters that word masters is translated in other uh, translations as teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. As teachers in the congregation we need to take our responsibility to teach gravely. We need to understand that it's a it's a great responsibility that we have and truth be told if the teachers of the congregation if we're studying as much as we should in our own responsibility to ourselves at home this should come naturally to us. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse twenty-six says, "How is it then, brethren, when you come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying." Now I believe if you get up in the pulpit and you read a verse and people will listen, there will be some edification there. But it, you know, go back to James chapter three, verse one we receive the greater condemnation. As teachers, there's a greater responsibility. There's a higher standard that we're held to. And Corinthians 14.26 talks about an interpretation being made of that scripture. You know, I didn't make a chart about this or anything, but I just did a little bit of research and on average it takes about 15 hours to build what's considered a, a good quality talk on a certain subject about 15 hours of time put into a a subject matter that you're wanting to talk about now that may look a little bit different from person to person depending on the uh, ability level of that person to put together thoughts in a cohesive manner it, it'll be different it may be longer it may be shorter but the point is is that there is a responsibility that teachers have to teach and to study and to produce uh, good quality lessons. And that brings us to our next topic is growing or helping others grow in knowledge. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's a general principle that we're supposed to teach others and there's certain people that we're going to be responsible for individually there's going to be different roles that we have whether you're a teacher in the congregation whether you're an elder a deacon a father a husband a mother a wife or older siblings and simply put the spiritual growth of our children of our families our friends and others has to take priority in our lives above what we want to do for our own entertainment and for our own desires. It has to take priority. You know, when I started this study, we mentioned that there's a battle that goes on within us between what we want to do and what we need to do, and we talked about um, how children always want to do what's entertainment or what's entertaining or what's most fun to them. That's where we need to have the mindset that Paul had toward the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 says, And I will very gladly... Spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You know, that word spend and to be spent, it's just what it means. He's spending himself. He's giving a lot of himself to that church. He cares for the Corinthian church, and he was willing to be spent for them. He was willing to give so that they would grow. You know, over time, this body that I have It's going to break down. My muscles are going to get sore and they're not going to recover as fast as they once did. My joints are going to ache a little bit easier. My skin's going to bruise a little bit easier. And over time, it'll just continue to break down and I will be spent over time. And I can only hope that when I find myself spent and that when we find ourselves spent, that it was because we spent it to the glory of God and the education and the growth of the knowledge of the people that we were responsible for, whether it be our spouse, our children, our family, our friends, whatever it may be. Are we willing to be spent for those that we're responsible for? Are we willing to learn enough on our own so that we can teach those that we're responsible for? You know, I love making time for me. I'll just tell you right now. That's what I'm. That's what I'm most inclined to. I'm, I'm, deep down, very selfish person. I really like to do things that entertain me. If if I had it my way, you'd never see me. I'd be at home watching TV, eating bonbons all day long. That's just the way that I'm. I'm geared. I'm I'm entertainment-driven, and so this doesn't come naturally to me to make sacrifices like this. And that may be the case for you as well. But the truth is, is that we need to be willing to make those sacrifices because of the responsibility we've been given to help others grow in knowledge. And that depends on who you're responsible for. So think of it in the context of teachers and preachers in the congregation, people who would get up here and talk and deliver subjects. We've talked about this a little bit already, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sound mind is the same Greek word translated to be self-control or discipline. Guys, do we have the self-discipline when we come home from work to lay aside what we want to do to put down the remote and to go into our office or our study or take time and actually read and, and build good quality studies and take time to nurture our own mind in the scriptures? We do because the Bible says we do. God gave us that spirit. Fathers and uh, husbands and mothers and wives, Hebrews 12, chapter 11 says, Now no chastening, or some other translations render that to be discipline, for the present seem to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now that discipline not only applies towards children, but that also applies as inward discipline a person applying discipline of themselves to take care of tasks that have been set before them, of responsibilities that a person has. And you know what that looks like. No discipline to take care of something. You know, you may have a responsibility to take care of something on a certain day and you want to do something else. But that doesn't seem pleasant because you want to do something else that might be more fun. But afterwards, it yields a harvest of righteousness. Are we willing to see the fruits of that discipline? Are we willing to take time to turn off the TV at home, make reading the Bible in our home a priority? But what if it falls on deaf ears? That's often one of the the excuses I've given to not rising to this responsibility of the people that I've been responsible for. What if it falls on deaf ears? What if they don't listen? What if they don't apply it? Psalms 1 and 6 says, For the Lord... Knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Whether people take the knowledge that we teach them and apply it, we can have confidence and we can understand and take comfort knowing that God knows the way of the righteous. He knows that we're taking care of those responsibilities to the best of our ability. Revelation 3, verse 8. I think about the church of Philadelphia and how. Where it says, I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and has not denied my name. I think about the little strength that he's talking about there, the little bit of strength that it took the church at Philadelphia to keep the word of the Lord and to not deny his name, and how little strength it must take for me in my own home, for the people that I'm responsible for to teach. And to help grow in knowledge as I've been given that responsibility by God. Ultimately, the responsibility to the Christian comes down to placing importance on the spiritual above the physical. It involves having an eternal perspective. And we have a responsibility given to us in the scriptures to place importance on the eternal over the temporal. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. It says, Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth or rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where the thieves do not break through nor steal. You know, that word lay up and treasure basically convey the idea, and I look this up in my Strong's Concordance, uh, it basically um, conveys the idea to amass a deposit. You might think of the sense of a retirement, and we're talking about valuing the eternal over the temporal. You know, every month without fail, there's an automatic draft that's made from our bank account into our retirement account. And that account is supposed to bear interest, and a guy much smarter than me tells me that if I do that for however long, I should be able to retire. Every month, without fail, on the same day, that deposit is made into that account. Something is laid up in store in that account. In 2019, I probably deposited more into that account for my physical retirement In for the last 20 to 30 years of my life, potentially, depending on how many years I'm granted, than I did investing time into the spiritual growth of my family. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is the picture of valuing the temporal above the eternal. If we're making time for the physical, we better make sure we're making time for the eternal. And that's for something that you and I would consider a necessity in life, retirement. We're not even talking about, uh, about hobbies that we may have, about things that we like, but we need to ask ourselves the question, are we laying up more treasure for the things that won't last in life than the things that will last? Now, please don't leave here saying that Jackson thinks you shouldn't invest in your retirement. That's not what I'm saying at all, but the point is, is that we need to devote time to laying up things that will last. So a few things I'd like for us to consider in closing. A question I'd like to ask is, will we finish our lives with more knowledge of the temporal than the eternal? Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, within that world is all the knowledge of it, everything that we could ever learn. You know, I take a lot of pride in in learning a lot about my work. I take a lot of pride in learning a lot about my profession. And I want to know as much as I can so I can be as good as I can. But the truth is, is I just look at houses for a living. That's all I do. And will I know more about home inspections and how to own a business than I will when I die, than I do about the scriptures? Will Will I have invested more time into that than I have into the eternal Will we finish our lives with more temporal accomplishments than eternal? First Timothy chapter 6 verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You won't be able to take any award, any social standing, any promotion with you when you die. Will I have watched more movies? Will I have more famous destinations visited? Or more awards won than souls brought to Christ? Or children instructed in the word? Or trials overcome in faith? And lastly, will we finish our lives with more time spent in temporal things than eternal? James chapter 4 verse 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life, even as a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away? You know, I may be beating a dead horse here, but really the the truth is is that we we all have jobs, we all have things that we need to take care of in this life, and you know, our jobs take care of a, a big chunk of our day, and then there's sleep, obviously. And I'm not saying that we need to lock ourselves in a room and just read all day long. And I think you can see by what we've studied that it's not about that. But as I said, if we're making time for ourselves, if we're making time for the things that we want to do, are we making time for the responsibilities that God has given us? Will we be able to look at our lives honestly and see that we placed more importance and that we spent more time and that we were more intentional with our eternity rather than our temporary you know, we've talked a lot about responsibility so far, and I'd like to go all the way back to the beginning to what I mentioned about being a child and having a trouble with responsibility. I had such a bad habit as a kid of shirking responsibilities, and it would just go right over my head. I would have no idea I even had to take care of a certain thing that I needed to do, of a responsibility that I had been given, because I was always geared towards just doing what I wanted to do to make myself happy or to entertain myself. And we tend to do what we see is most fun and maybe we take that from when we were a child and we take that on throughout life and we never grow up in that regard but the truth is is it's time to grow up because his commandments are not grievous and they're for our benefit let's not come to the end of our lives as spiritual children if you're here today and the congregation can help you with anything if you're ready to become a Christian and you've been sufficiently taught and you're ready to take that step to be washed in the blood of Jesus and to become a Christian today, we'd love to help you with that. If you're here and you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we'd ask either class be made known by sitting on the front pew while we stand and sing.